So in today's conversation, you're going to see Joshua Ryan Butler and Daniel Kelly come together to discuss an article that Joshua wrote a couple of weeks ago now for the Gospel Coalition, looking at four causes of deconversion. And Daniel wrote a response to this article and he published it on When Belief Dies, the website itself. There are links to both of these articles in the description, so go and check those out probably before the video starts if you haven't seen it yet or before you listen to it if you're listening to it on the podcast. And get an understanding of what's going to be happening here because we're essentially going to go through each point one at a time, uh, sharing reflections from Daniel as somebody who has left Christianity, who has deconstructed, and also views from Joshua as a pastor of a church who is trying to stop people feeling like they have to deconstruct, uh, potentially due to social pressures. It's a really good conversation, and I've got a lot of time for both Joshua and Daniel. And I think that this conversation is a good example of how two people from very different worldviews can come together to have a conversation, which I hope helps move things along for those who have been having issues with both Joshua's article and also the various responses that have come out about it. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'd ask you to hit like, subscribe, then hit the notification bell so you're reminded of any other videos that get released when Belief dies. And for everybody, I hope you enjoy this bonus conversation. Cheers. Welcome to When Belief Dies. The aim of this podcast and YouTube channel is to have conversations that honestly reflect on faith, religion, and life. Once a week, every week, we aim to bring you a conversation that explores belief with a variety of guests from various parts of the world, delving into why some subscribe to a specific religion and or denomination, and why others have either never believed or decided to walk away from a framework of belief. The more we can understand about why someone holds or rejects a specific religious position, the more honest we can be with the positions we hold as we strive to believe as many true things as possible. This is why it's amazing to have you with us each and every week. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello and welcome to this When Belief Dies special. Um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation today, um, talking to both Daniel and Joshua um, about articles they both wrote. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of see the sort of fruitful conversation we're going to have. So um, without any further ado, let me just grab Daniel into the chat. Daniel, how's it going? Yeah, going not too bad, Sam. Not too bad. Amazing. And we're also joined by Josh. Josh, it's good to see you again. How are you doing? Great to see you as well too, Sam. And nice to meet you, Daniel. Definitely. Uh, doing well, man. Excited for the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've really enjoyed the uh, the the various conversations we've had on and off air. Um, it's been very yeah, it's been very honest and real, which which is always helpful. Um, so I mean, I don't want to take up any more time. We are limited, so let's crack on. I think it'd be really good, um, Josh, to kind of um, kick off with your article, and just so everybody knows, there'll be links to both Josh's article and Daniel's response in the description. So if you want to pause here, have a read, go do that. But without any further ado, Josh, it'd be great to get an overview of your uh, four causes of deconstruction, and just kind of hear a little bit about why you wrote it to start with great no it's a great question yeah so part of the backdrop for me was just going i found that often i think the deconstruction conversation is often in many circles treated as primarily uh just like an intellectual phenomenon you know and so in some christian circles it will be kind of like do people have these questions here's these answers and uh kind of an apologetics type thing and just my experience for the last 20 years um uh, maybe first a little bit of my background. So I was a port, uh, pastor in Portland, Oregon for about 15 years. And now in the last uh, 
three and a half years have been here in near Arizona State University's kind of college town. And so both Portland is sort of a would be known in the U.S. as sort of a maybe quote unquote post-Christian city or, you know, a place where Christian faith, there's no cultural Christianity, the environment, it can be kind of skeptical or hostile towards the Christian faith. And then a college campus where um, both environments where I, I've walked with many people who are kind of deconstructing for the years. And my experience for the last 20 years has just been that like, dude, if we only treat this as like an intellectual phenomenon or kind of an apologetics type thing, um, we're really missing that there are a lot more layers beneath the surface. And so I think to do justice to um, people's stories and kind of walking with them, we need to not just look at this as just an intellectual thing, but recognize there are some other uh, drivers that can be going on behind the surface. And so uh, the first of those drivers or causes that I mentioned that can be at play is what I call church hurt. And there that was, um, I define that pretty broadly, you know, so I talked about um, for some people, the hurt or wounds are very personal ways that other Christians have wounded them, have hurt them. Uh, could be a church environment they grew up in that was very legalistic or moralistic. Uh, an extreme end of the spectrum uh, would be as bad as, you know, like abusive behavior that they endured in, in a church environment. Um, but then I also talked about church hurt more broadly as at times a disillusionment with the moral failures of the church. And so as we look broadly, you could see a number of influential leaders who have kind of fallen like a Ravi Zacharias or a Mark Driscoll or others like that, where some people are going, man, I invested a lot of my life growing up under these figures and they've really let me down or moral failures of the church more broadly looking at things today, like um, the cover up of sexual abuse in many quarters of the church or uh, ideologies um, associated with things like racism or uh, mis mistreatment of marginalized people and all that can be things where you just kind of going, dude, I don't know that I buy the church. <laughs> like, like, like the church is a mess. And so church hurt um, was the first of the four causes I mentioned that I think can often be at play. Um, the second one I mentioned was, um, uh, sorry, I'm having a brain it's all right i mean i was i was i was wondering whether it's worth pausing um at that and kind of just and just letting daniel kind of talk a little bit about his response but just before that happens daniel so josh just to kind of make sure that i'm, I'm understanding it fully so um you, you've obviously experienced um people going through deconstruction deconversion um quite a lot in in, in your ministry as as a pastor in in various areas and and you were writing this really to um help um a a, a general audience on um the gospel coalition's website to get an understanding that this isn't just a, a sort of academic or um kind of apologetics youtube -y thing this is this is a real life thing where there are there are real individuals with real stories and you want to kind of express that more effectively to a christian audience is that is that your primary is is is, is that right would you say yes no that's a great that's a great description yeah i think the biggest oh man we need to be attentive to the fullness of people's stories and that's going to involve more than just the, the intellectual pieces a part of it and I, I write books on that stuff and i care about that stuff i talk about a lot but I think to really do justice uh, to walking with people well means being attentive to the whole story and, and not limiting to it to only that, the way that can sometimes happen in some circles. Mm, amazing. And Daniel, obviously, you kind of um, read the article, um, have had some thoughts and written a response. It'd be great to kind of hear a, a bit about why you wrote the response, what your initial reaction was, and then we can kind of maybe jump in then into the, into the number one, into church. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess... You know, obviously, when I came across the article, I think I had a number of different emotions uh, in my response to it. And I think some of that rawness does come across in, in my response, uh, especially as I was reading it again and reflecting on it um, uh, I, now a couple of weeks after that. 
And I think, you know, there were uh, a couple of different aspects to that. I think, you know, first of all, um, obviously, I was formerly a Christian myself and uh, went through that journey. And in the end, I I sort of ended up in a position of actually thinking, actually, I don't think God even exists uh, and sort of settling into an atheism. But that was a very, very long journey. And I can't even say that it's a long journey that's fully com completed. This is still obviously a topic that I'm greatly engaged with, and especially as, as part of this podcast. Um, so in, in my mind, sort of just in terms of setting up you have the moment of deconversion. You have that moment where you go, okay, I'm no longer going to tick the Christian box. I'm going to start ticking some other box. Uh, and you you have that step away. And, and deconstruction is almost something larger and longer that people go through. Um, it's, it's sort of that questioning of all those philosophical and theological assumptions that people have. And I think that's why, you know, I... <clears throat> And, and everyone sort of has that sort of uh, different journeys with it, um, though I think there are um, themes and trends that just come through because obviously we're all interacting with the same sort of culture, um, whether that's in the US or UK, there's differences and similarities there, of course, as well. Um, and I, so I guess as I read um, these stories about deconstruction, obviously one, I take that to be partly about me and sort of the the uh the narratives that are told to christians um who are many of my friends and family uh the gospel coalition was something i was aware of as a christian i know people who read it um i know people who engage with it and it so part of it was the narrative about me part of it was the narrative about um you know obviously other christians who have changed their christianity and are sort of living in that deconstructed christianity and obviously other atheists like myself as well as some who may may have moved into another faith and so i guess as i read the article you know partly i was a bit surprised um because while i didn't know much about you josh uh i had seen your interview uh previously on on our podcast, uh, the conversation you had with Sam. And, um, you know, some of it, uh, some of the content, seeing, it seemed to me uh, a bit disconnected from what I had understood of your character and your personality. And within that content, I've, I recognize sort of these recurring tropes and recurring narratives. Um, and I, I mean, even as I reflect on my uh, my response, I was trying as much as possible to critique your article in isolation, though I think I respect I'm also critiquing it within that broader context of what are the stories that I have heard told about myself and other people who go through deconstruction um, that I recognized in these stories. And, and so obviously there was... Uh, you know, behind each of these different bits, there was a, a different response uh, behind it. There was some anger uh, and there was some frustration at what I interpreted as um, a Christian communicating to other Christians about this other group, the out group, and creating narratives that I did not think were uh, fair and reflective and could be detrimental within the within that singular article um, 
And and part of that is obviously, you know, you had 1,800 words. That's quite a strict word count for a topic that, you know, is quite quite a considerable one and quite a lengthy one. So I, I wanted to respect that, but equally I, I did feel like it lacked on a couple of points. And that's what I was trying to communicate in my response and, and hopefully could just bring it a, a little bit better uh, in this conversation. Yeah, that's great. Maybe, you know, one point I, I kind of mentioned just in responses, one thing I want to own is I do think um, I uh, could have done a better job framing it in, in the introduction because I, I did realize, I mean, I've been interacting with a lot of folks the last few weeks on it, you know, and one thing I realized was I, I think I had a very different frame in mind when writing it than I, well, the experience they had when, in reading it. And some of that I think beyond me and maybe I could have been more clear and kind of frame it. So as I mentioned, I think the frame I had in mind, even the language of four causes, when I mentioned four causes, what I had in mind with that was not going, hey, these are the four be all end all causes, whatever, but just going like, man, these are four things that I've often found can be driving beneath the, the surface of someone. So someone, you've got a friend or a family member in your living room and they're going, man, I'm actually wrestling with God. I don't know if I can really buy this particular thing anymore. I'm going to start with this and just going, man, beneath that layer, you know, that surface layer, I found these are four things that can often be driving in someone's story, a kind of a, a personal level. Uh, but what I found was, I think for many people, when they read the language of four causes, <laughs> they went in and, and understandably so went in thinking like, okay, these are going to be like the four be all end all, like social, cultural, ideological, ecclesial, church, whatever you're like, like just in uh, uh, causes that are driving the deconstruction phenomenon that's happening at large today. And man, I think that is a vitally important conversation, a really uh, helpful and significant one. Um, it's also like, man, way broader th than what I had in mind, you know? But again, I think all that is to say, I think, um, I think I could have done a better job in the front end of the article of, of more clearly framing and setting up kind of that that frame that I had in 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 mind in that research. That doesn't mean there wouldn't still be you might might you know would still have some objections or, or things. That that's fine. We can talk about those. But I guess I just kind of want to own on my end. I think I could have been more clear and uh, and opened myself up for some some misunderstanding on a, on a pretty. A topic is pretty loaded, you know, for many people because it does touch on our experiences and our stories and all. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thank you, Josh, and thank you, Daniel, for both of you being really honest and, and reflective in this. I think, um, obviously, Josh, you kind of touched a little bit on the sort of the the sort of number one point church, and Daniel, it'd be good to kind of at this point maybe hear a little bit about your uh, reflections on that, and then um, yeah, we can kind of just have a little bit of a conversation around that one. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think you know one thing which I think we can both agree on is. I I would also agree. I think it is just human nature in all things that actually the way that we make decisions is not this cold, logical um, approach. And actually talking about some of these emotional aspects is an important part of the conversation. Uh, and I think that's that's actually really important and is, is sometimes missed in a, a lot of the uh, apologetics, as you mentioned. Um, I think... Uh, I, equally, also, I, I do think, um, and perhaps this is a first critique that I didn't really bring out in my response, but equally, I think it's just uh, a point of frustration that sometimes equally we feel around the reverse narrative is that uh, often that's not questioned when someone actually becomes a Christian. 
you know, it's not that someone sat there and going, well, I've been diligently looking at all the evidence of the resurrection. I updated my Bayes theorem and all of a sudden it's starting to look more probable and therefore I've, I've now accepted it. You know, usually I think when someone becomes a Christian, both aspects are in play as well. Uh, I think people can become Christians for um, quote unquote rational reasons alongside these various emotional reasons. So I think part of me is just wanting to say, even as we're looking at this aspect of it, I, I think the opposite is also true. And I think sometimes that's where some of the frustration comes in that it's it's only when we're leaving that suddenly it's these emotional factors in play rather than some of the, the truth behind that being part of the reason why we were Christian in the first place, because actually it was important to us emotionally as well as um, intellectually. Um, and yeah, on the on the topic of church hurt, I think this was probably an area where, um, you know, obviously I was, um, I, I don't think I quite put this right in my response, but it was more of a, just a, a frustration less in what you said, because actually I don't think I disagree with what you said per se. Um, obviously I wouldn't have quite the same theological commitments, but in terms of the you, you broadly majored on one point and just minored on one point, which was you majored on people um, grieving is something which is difficult to do and something that is not regularly taught or talked about uh, in our society, um, even in the church, and sometimes can be suppressed when actually it's, it's a rightful thing. Um, and yeah, obviously drawing on many examples throughout the Bible where there is lament, where there is grief and, and that being important. But equally, you then minored and gave short comment to obviously a lot of the, um, the most difficult and horrendous situations of abuse that, that we see um, in so many people's stories and talking about why they left the church, which, you know, I think is is very legitimate um you know part of me was like i don't understand even from your perspective in, in terms of considering it from your in sort of an internal critique of actually surely the major thing is sort of challenging the church especially as you're writing to a christian audience especially as you're writing to people who are church leaders and elders and thinking about these things and engaging with that content about actually we cannot be an environment which accepts that um and I, I guess that's on, on this section, I guess that would be my main question. Or, or, why did you put it that way around? Why would, it's more a question of why was the emphasis in sort of that orientation in, in this section? Great question. Uh, that's an excellent question. And first up, too, just to affirm, I agree with you on your, your earlier point too about uh, not only why people might deconstruct or deconvert, but also why people might convert to Christianity. You know, that there's a whole host of emotional as well as intellectual and relational and social. There's all sorts of factors that can be going on there. So I totally agree. And yeah, on the second point in that question, yeah, you know, uh, I, I am a firm believer in the the need for reform in the church, for justice, for accountability, and all sorts of areas. I find myself working a lot, speaking a lot, and those who know me and are familiar with my, my broader work, I, those are like major themes. So um, and I do think one of the one of the uh, pieces there, you asked, you know, why did you kind of focus here rather than here? And some of that, that could be an oversight on my end that had to do with the backdrop to the article. So maybe to give a little context, uh, the way that it 
happened and kind of came about was um, I had spoken at uh, a leadership gathering a while back and uh, that went really well. It was really well received earlier this year um, and then got asked by uh, a friend if I could come do some similar at another leadership gathering and that went great and I won't name names on those so they don't get sucked into my vortex of hate mail here, right? you know, but, but uh, both of those were really great environments. And in those broader environments, those were all, uh, you know, leader, the, the, there were other speakers, there were other things that were speaking to things like justice in the church, uh, dealing with issues of working against racism in the church, working against abuse in the church. Like those were being covered in a lot of different areas. Um, and then even in mine where, uh, you know, I, I was talking, uh, sharing some thoughts on deconstruction, um, and I, you know, I probably shared what, like 10,000 words worth of thoughts, you know, and then there was this uh, one little chunk of that, you know, maybe like a 3000 word, a third of it or something was a piece that had a lot of people afterwards going, um, hey, that was really helpful. Could you come on our podcast? Could you send me your thoughts or whatever? And I just realized, man, I don't have time to <laughs> do this for everyone. So in my mind, it was like, I'll just throw these into a quick little article. It will go up on the corner of the website. Uh, then I can steer people there, you know. And I, you know, I sent it to a buddy of mine who's an an editor, a great editor, and he, he did a great job. But you know, part of editing, he helped me chop it down from three thousand words to eighteen hundred words. And I think in the process, some of that larger context got lost that, that I had in mind when writing it. And so, um, in short, you know, you know, to your question, I would want to affirm both that I, I firmly believe in and I'm a huge advocate for and work pretty tirelessly for reform in the church, for justice and accountability, for seeing, dude, as the body of Christ, we need to own our failures, confess, lament, repent, like feel it all like, like yes and amen. I do think uh, as to why I heavied up on the one was going back a bit to that frame for the article was um, more focused on the question I had in mind was, how do you walk with someone, uh, a friend, a family member, um, for me, you know, 100 plus friends over the year, you know, last 20 years that have gone through uh, deconstruction process, some who have ended up coming back to, you know, like, like who, some of who have landed with Jesus, some of who have not, you know, but when they're in that process, um, and I, I think within that frame of mind, I think I was kind of thinking like, well, when I've been sitting with those friends, calling them to, hey, you need to go reform the church, you need to go, you know, like work for justice, accountability, when they don't even know whether they identify with the people got anymore or they're i mean they're struggling just at that level where um i i think that's something for me as a church leader to own but it's maybe less relevant to something where the onus is on them where in, in context like what i have found for them on that personal level i mean it is powerful when they hear church leadership owning mistakes we've made or identifying with you know confessing and and, and working for reform um but as far as like when friends have been wounded, when I myself have been wounded, like uh, by the church, I think what I found most helpful there is having space to lament. And I think some people misheard too with lament. There were some people like, oh, you're just saying like, have a good cry and get over it. And I'm like, no, dude, I see lament as like a deep, long process. Uh, it can be months or even years. It involved counseling. It can involve you know, like, like prayer, but lament of bringing our sadness and our grief before God, bringing our wounds before God, not ignoring and pretending they aren't there, but trying to get honest with the pain that we have received and, and to bring that before God. Um, so anyways, yeah, I think if I were to go back, I would probably integrate like a few 
lines in there at least because uh, in my mind that was assumed and take it for granted that dude we need to be about reform in the church working for justice accountability all those things um i assumed that and you know what happens when you assume <laughs> i probably should have made it more explicit <laughs> given the broader context that the article was going into no, that's really helpful thank you thank you both for, for that honesty it's, it's really useful um i'm aware that we could probably just stay on point one for the for the rest of the conversation um, and we are limited on time and i'd love to hit all the next three and also just have a, a final few minutes for reflections at the end so um i think this format works really well daniel if you're happy to start for each section and then and then pass over to josh to give his feedback and then we can just have a, a final kind of summary at the end so daniel if you're happy to go on to point two uh, i believe poor teaching and uh, that'd be fantastic yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, uh, Joshua, you mentioned you can quite remember off the top of your head, but um, it was around bad teaching. And I guess I, you know, sort of um, further to sort of our, our earlier comments around, obviously, I think in the process of, of going through deconstruction, there are these emotional and lifestyle factors and social and cultural factors all, all at play. I think that's quite right. Equally, I, there are intellectual factors at play and, you know, having, um, you know, just, uh, a, as I spoke to people about, uh, leaving faith, uh, about my questions, you know, they were, sometimes they were incredibly boring and technical. You know, I was having difficulties with how Paul was using uh, the promise to Abraham and how he was saying this is to your singular offspring, even though the Hebrew term was not a singular term. That doesn't make sense. Like, how is he using the Bible and how does that set how we should use the Bible? You know, there were these intellectual questions, which, um, you know, to a certain extent, is kind of like a wager, you know, that as these intellectual questions grew and undermined my confidence that I was going to be able to find satisfactory answers. And as the ethical concerns grew, um, as that confidence diminished, you know, that was when sort of, oh, actually, I no longer have the same confidence in my faith to be able to make the sort of claims that I used to make and to hold to the various views, which for me were particularly, for me, in teaching, in, talk, in encouraging other Christians uh, to not live with an LGBT plus lifestyle or that um, complementarianism was correct and men and women have different roles. These things grew increasingly uncomfortable as they were on this rockier and rockier ground. But that's not to say that it wasn't partly because the ground was getting more and more rocky and that I was genuinely finding some legitimate concerns and I think this is kind of uh the one area where you you sort of touched on that and I think as I initially read the article I think part of it is just the framing of it as bad teaching and sometimes the insinuation that uh those of us who have struggled with this or who have come to a different conclusion um just haven't considered the questions correctly enough. Um, I know, and actually, you know, while there's a huge variety of people, so many of the people who I've I've spoken to who have deconstructed their faith are people who have really considered uh, Christianity from a multitude of angles. And obviously for me, you know, um, I grew up in a sort of Pentecostal style church. I spent time in the Eastern Orthodox church eventually become sort of a, a sort of evangelical, relatively conservative one. You know, I, 
you know, got a copy of Strong's Concordance, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, Calvin's Institutes. I was a theology theology geek. I, I studied this stuff. And sometimes it's a case of it, it's more the framing here that in terms of, um, and, and equally I'm aware that, you know, we are just going to disagree. You know, I, I, I've read these things. I, I'm now reading a lot more philosophy and philosophy of religion and various other topics that would make me go, well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> but um, equally, um, obviously, we're just going to disagree on that point. I think for me, the framing here was just, um, I, I don't think it was miles off in this section. I, I don't think this was a section that really um, started to grind my gears. So we'll get to that in section three. Um, but um, it was it it was just subtly trying to make sure that how do we how do we emphasise that actually people do have legitimate questions and sometimes as much as we were talking earlier about the intellectual questions take the fore and people forget about the emotional stuff. Sometimes people just focus on the emotional stuff and neglect and forget that actually there's some real intellectual challenges here and they're dismissed. Um, and I felt that come through your article. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, so a, a few thoughts. First off is, man, just to, to say, I think everyone who knows me would know this is true. Sam, even our conversation is true. Man, I, I believe there's a ton of, you know, there's a ton of place for healthy, like, questions about God, wrestling with the Christian faith, what some call like the, the dark night of the soul type experiences or the felt absence of God or wrestling with doubts and all. So all that um, is uh, yes and amen on, on that front. Mm -hmm. And on the, um, on the, the one thing that I was not trying to communicate that, you know, uh, if I can sum up, I think one thing you're saying is that like, people who aren't Christians aren't smart. <laughs> like like there, are, there are many people who are way smarter than I am who don't believe in God. And I, I get all that, right? Uh, but I think I was trying to describe uh, to describe this reality that I found for many folks over the years, there's been kind of the sense of going, um, man, I just don't know if I can believe in God. Often because um, I found that many times, maybe they grew up in like a fundamentalist type uh, backdrop and they were told, hey, if you don't, believe in like literal six day creation or, you know, seven day creation, then you're not actually a true believer. You know, some of those type of things where I'm like going, man, I feel like that's actually bad teaching. And Hey, there's some good resources out there. There's some good teaching mm -hmm. that if you're going, man, I, I love Jesus. I'm encountering him. I want him. I want you with him. And it's people like, I think there are great resources that can help people. And a lot of, this is where even like a lot of my uh, writing and work has come in on trying to help people who wrestle with some of those tough topics of the faith. Um, so uh, topics like hell, judgment, holy war, sacrifice, wrath, atonement. I'm currently working on stuff around sex and gender and all that. And it's just going like, man, I, I think um, I don't want to minimize or say that these topics can't be challenging or complicated or controversial. Um, but I do think there are great resources out there that can help folks. And one of the things that was interesting just experientially was I had um, a lot of people, I, I tried to open myself up to critique the last few weeks from the article. And so I would follow, you know, like, um, you know, I tried to read every critical comment. I can't respond to everything. There's just way more out there. It generated a flood of feedback and response. Um, but I have tried to, a number of folks who in good faith, you know, felt like they were asking like, like questions about it and all, just to open myself up to listening to their story, having conversations over the phone and all. 
And one of the things I found was a common thread was often the inroad of the conversation would be, they would say, um, you know, those four categories don't describe me, you know, my experience with deconstruction. And I would say, man, that, that's fine. I don't, they're not exhaustive. There could be other ones, but I'd love to hear your story. And then as they shared their story, inevitably it would fall into one of those four <laughs> categories. And so the teaching one came up a lot where, as an example, I had a few back-to-back -back conversations where I remember, you know, one person was saying, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, I love the church, but she was saying, and then I learned about textual criticism and that the Bible wasn't just a divine guidebook that dropped right out of heaven from God. And I'm thinking like, well, it sounds like you had some poor teaching around the Bible being a divine handbook that fell right down from heaven from God. And like how we got the Bible, you know, like there's some good teaching on how we got the Bible that could help in that regard. Or then I went right after that into another meeting with someone who was like the same deal and uh, loved Jesus, part of the church. And then I learned about evolutionary biology and just realized it was incompatible with Christian faith. And I was thinking like, well, it sounds like maybe you had some poor teaching on a doctrine of creation and humanity and that being necessarily incompatible with evolutionary biology. And so all I'd say is I, I don't want to say that like, people who don't believe are not smart or that there's not tough issues, questions that. Um, but what I have found is that a common experience for many people can be, maybe they've got a backdrop with some either fundamentalist or poor type teaching and uh, yet they really love Jesus and want life with him, unity with him. And my encouragement is just to go, man, I think there really are a lot of great resources out there. If that's kind of underneath what's driving this, I think there are a lot of great resources out there that can help that person um, yeah, like navigate and wrestle through those things as well and not be isolated alone, but in that, but kind of tap into some of the resources of the historic and global church and how others have thought about and engaged some of those things. Will you support when belief dies? Your support enables us to keep having these conversations and improving everything we do. There are three ways you can support when belief dies. Firstly, would you rate When Belief Dies in Apple Podcasts and over on Audible? Rating us in these spaces boosts our visibility. Secondly, would you share this episode with your family, friends and followers? We grow mainly through word of mouth, so please consider who might find this a helpful conversation and share it with them. Lastly, would you consider supporting the show financially? You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal or Bitcoin. Everything you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog, podcast and YouTube channel. All the links are in the description and thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's conversation. Thank you. I really want to jump in on that, but I know we don't have time, so I'm not going to. Um, okay, so number three, the reason I deconstructed desire to sin. So Daniel, do you yeah. want to start off with us? Sorry, that's a terrible joke. Uh, Daniel, do you want to start off with, uh, with this for us? Yeah, and I guess uh, this is always a tricky one because one, I think this was just the area where it just, it's such a tired trope. <laughs> and I think yeah. this is where some of the frustration comes in. Now, what I will... I would say more broadly on the whole desire to sin is that obviously, you know, as I left faith, I changed my mind on a number of different ethical issues. And obviously part of that that 
journey was actually I had lost confidence in some of the ethical positions that I felt I had to take as a Christian um, and the detrimental impact that could have on others um, by me taking that position. Um, and so the, uh, I think one, you know, someone who leaves because they're, they're no longer able to live by the ethics of the Christian lifestyle, such as someone who is homosexual, I will, you know, I, I support um, and I actually agree with. So I think there's a, a tricky area in this where, you know, to a certain extent, I just believe in a different ethic uh, to life. And so therefore we're, we're just in disagreement. So I don't think that is actually illegitimate uh, as being part of someone's story as much as from your theological position. You, you create that critique. So in that larger sense around this whole people leave to sin, um, yeah, there's part of that, but I don't think the one that is actually, you know, from my perspective, that that isn't actually a problem. And two, I think, uh, and this is sort of where we, we might come into some more of the critiques around this area is, uh, it's more my concern of how that understanding is then used in interaction with people. Mm. And the bit that just really set me off in terms of your article was the framing of this section and what you led with. Um, if I if I can just read um, directly from it. Um, you said here, um, many friends in ministry have suddenly had big questions about God, then proceeded to quickly deconstruct their faith. So many times it later comes out that they'd been having an affair that started well before their deconstruction began. And the fact that you led with that, for me, creates quite a problematic narrative in this section, because it's not just, okay, this change of ethics, which from your perspective is a desire to sin in leaving, but it changes into, um, by utilizing affairs, it changes a narrative into the people that leave this outgroup, the people that you don't want to be a part of are deceptive and treacherous. Uh, and that's, uh, and, you know, just a couple of paragraph uh, graphs, uh, later, you, you follow this up with, this masks what's really going on. And and, and the word, use of the word masks even to, to sort of have this um, actor, a, a hypocrite um, sort of construction, um, I think was where your broader theological point takes quite a, a dangerous turn. Uh, and obviously, as I, I briefly mentioned in the article, and I uh, I don't go into detail on this, but obviously, as someone who is married to a believer, going uh, going through that journey, I heard this narrative. So did my wife, and it is it's something which is so often utilised in a really damaging way for people, and that's really where I I take issue with this. So it's not the case that you think people are leaving to sin. Part of me thinks, yep good on them, but that's a point of disagreement between us, but rather the portrayal of people, Christians who have deconstructed or people who have left the faith as deceptive, 
and betrayers. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing yeah, so vulnerably with that too. Um, well, just a few maybe kind of thoughts in response. Uh, first off, you know, maybe uh, zooming out a little bit, backdrop. So I, I would say like in terms of anthropology or humans and how we work, I'm, I'm an Augustinian, like St. Augustine, right? So in, in that front, which going like what I call like a theology of the affections, which is really just going, um, dude, we are, uh, as much as we like to think of ourselves primarily as creatures of the intellect or of will, and those are definitely factors and faculties, but um, often beneath that, like the desires of the heart, like the heart, what we most desire, love, value, want, can really drive a lot of our behavior. And I found this true in my own life. So when I'm, what I'm not saying in that section of the article, and I hope this was clear, is that um, everybody or even most people who go through deconstruction phase is because they want to sin. But I do think it can be a factor and kind of experientially, like I've experienced enough times where in retrospect, you go, oh my gosh, that was a play that, that I, I feel like it would be naive to ignore this being a significant dynamic in there. And I think there's a question, well, you know, how do we define sin in there? For for me, that would be, you know, I, I mentioned the examples of the affairs and sexual sin and all, but um, underneath, I'd say like the, the root moment is a desire to live autonomously from God, kind of on our own terms rather than our God and his terms. Um, but it is interesting. I think one of the reasons that I emphasized sexual sin kind of in particular there, as I understand it, you know, was that um, I've noticed this dynamic where uh, when it comes to deconstruction in particular, where it seems like there are certain sins in a lot of Christian culture that um, when people have certain sins, let's take racism, for example, people have like just horrible, whatever, uh, oppressive, horrible views on race. At times, rather than deconstruct their faith, it's almost like they will try and integrate it into or latch, use God to justify their racism, you know? But with sexual sin, like if someone is wanting to have an affair or whatever, it will often lead to a walking away from God. And there's probably a whole bunch of reasons why that is. I think that could be at times as well that the church has not stood strongly enough or, or hard enough against certain other sins that the church maybe has at times been selective in what kind of sins it emphasizes and that relate, you know, relates to which ones people will try and tack God onto versus deconstruct over. Um, but experientially, you know, I think for me going in 15, 20 years ago, starting a ministry, I just kind of took at face value when someone came to me and said, I'm deconstructing and here's the intellectual reasons why everything, you know, I just kind of take a value like, okay, that's, that's what it is. And then you go through the rodeo a dozen of plus times, you know, where like you realize, whoa, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. And I, and I, and I start to go, man, I don't, I, I definitely, what do you do with that information? When someone comes in, my first thought is not like, oh, they're just lying to me. They just want to sleep around or whatever, like that, you know, but I also don't want to be naive, naive to go in. There could be some of those things could be a factor that are worth being attentive to. And I say this in my own, uh, in my own life, you know, like, so I've had times over the years where I'll start kind of really wrestling with some tough questions about God, kind of, man, God, I don't know, can I really, can I really buy this? And then when I stop, I feel like that sometimes has been like a good check engine light on my heart, you know, where I can peel back the layers a bit and look within and go, man, actually, God, if I get honest, like there's these ways I want to live, these things I want to do right now that I know don't align with what you're calling me to my kingdom. And once I deal with those, then those intellectual questions that I have kind of the power of them kind of drifts away. So I'm saying like, that's not everybody. That's not all the time. That's not every everything related to this conversation. But 
um, both experiencing it in my own life and with others that I've walked with, um, like I've seen that to be a factor. And um, so, uh, yeah, and so I, I wouldn't want that to be misused in the way you mentioned. And I'm sorry to hear about your experience where people immediately jump to kind of a cynicism of, oh, you must just want to leave your marriage and whatever else, you know, that's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really sorry that was your experience. And I, I hear you kind of going, man, this could be misused in those kind of ways. I, I think my thought just the other direction would be too, I think in seeking to engage this, um, this phenomenon deconstruction we're seeing, you know, it helps to be candid about some of the different factors that can be at play. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that some of your points there in terms of I think uh, I you know I think sexual sin comes to the fore because that is the area where I think Christian ethics is clashing so much with a secular modern understanding of ethics um you know particularly around empowered consent being sort of the boundaries of sort of secular ethics in comparison to the strong marital um particularly heterosexual marriage um christian sexual ethics so i think it's more in how how it's relating to modern culture and obviously the the exposure that people have to that those ideas and that philosophy that that's going to bring some of these things to the fore as opposed to you know i i think it you know it is a strong driver <laughs> of us uh i don't think we we should deny that um but yeah I, I guess I just want to press again, sort of um, that I, I'm aware that especially in your article, you are a Christian writing to a Christian audience. And to a certain extent for me to read in the article, reading the article, I'm not the intended audience. I'm just sort of looking in. Um, but obviously in that article, especially because you are writing Christian to Christian, about people who are sort of outside your boundaries of of what you're accepting as Christian, I think even just a different structure, even if uh, and a, even if affair was uh, mentioned, I would have groaned if it was in the middle. But I just feel like the leading of that it was was that creation of that you don't want to be one of these people. They're they're deceivers uh, and that for me is what's what i perceived as could be really harmful and damaging to our discourse thank you for sharing that yeah cool okay so we have one section left which is street cred um i think actually to kind of switch things up a little bit what, what i'm kind of envisioning we've only got a few minutes left is um josh if you're happy to give us just a couple of minutes overview of, of your intention behind the street cred section then daniel if you can give your thoughts and also your sort of closing comments after that and then josh will come back to you for the final comments and then we'll then we'll wrap up basically so josh to start with if you're happy just to give us an overview of the street care uh, the street cred section um, of your four causes yeah, and actually, if it's okay, I might even go a little more in depth here beyond the article on some of the thoughts on this, because this was the one that felt like it got the most pushback more broadly, you know, uh, so street cred kind of going, man, there's a certain sense which doubt is hip in many circles today. And like, um, uh, and you can get, uh, sometimes you can build a platform or get social aquapods and things like that by by doubting and, and things of that nature. Um, just kind of drawing it out. And the pushback that came in, which I totally get and agree with, you know, was pushback going like, man, dude, I lost family and friends this put strain on relationships and this was a painful process i didn't ask for this i didn't get any street cred or clout or whatever you know for this and so 
and I and I hear that and I would just go yes and amen. Um, but I still think I mean, a few observations on it. Uh, what I was trying to describe with the street cred section was an accommodation to social pressure. And the reality is, uh, kind of like what you brought up earlier, Daniel, I think street cred is another one that works both ways, you know, so back in Christendom or in some parts of the Bible Belt, you know, like, you can get a lot of street cred, you can get a lot of credibility on the streets of America in certain areas by identifying as a Christian, right? So I guess it's like the realtor in the Bible Belt who goes because they know, like, dude, there's a whole bunch of potential clients or customers here, or politicians in American history always identifying as Christian, because if you don't, you're not going to get elected historically. I mean, not today, but you know, there's credibility in identifying as Christian. But I would make the claim that I think today, the social pressure is pushing by and large the other direction, you know, and um, three sort of observations on that uh, that have been significant for me. The first would be, let's say the power of relational networks. And here I'm thinking of uh, Rodney Stark, sociology of religion, kind of very influential in that, that arena. And um, and part of what he's famous for in his work there is looking at the powerful role that relationships and relational networks have in conversion and deconversion. Um, and he looked at this more with like the Mormon church and how it exploded so quickly in such a short amount of time. He also applies it to like the early church and how the early church grew from the small persecuted group to, you know, overwhelming numbers. But the heart of the idea there that's now widely accepted in sociology of religion is that when people convert or deconvert, uh, we will tend to emphasize the ideas, like how I just looked at the ideas and it made sense, it's true, but, and, and that's a big factor involved. But what he says, what's often minimized or ignored or not recognized is the power of their relationships and relational networks and the role that those play in, in the process. And so I think that speaks to the social side of it. And it totally makes sense to me as a Christian of going, God is a relational God, Trinity creates humanity relationally, the, way that the gospel spreads is through the communion of faith, uh, the feet that's bring the good news. Like that all makes sense, the social nature of how this thing works. So the social side. The second observation though would be, what about the pressure? It would be uh, the presence of cross pressure. And so here I'm thinking of uh, philosopher Charles Taylor kind of his famous magnum opus, A Secular Age. And what he describes as one of the chief defining features of our current age is what he calls cross pressure. And it's kind of this idea that, man, if I was, uh, a pagan living back thousands of years ago, you know, if I believed in Zeus, well, my family believed in Zeus, my tribe believed in Zeus, everyone around me believed in Zeus, there was no pressure on my belief because we all just believe the same general things, right? Uh, but today we encounter this reality where we're constantly encountering people who see the world differently than we do, and it puts an implicit pressure on what we believe, whether you're Hindu or Buddhist or Christian or atheist or agnostic, whatever, there's kind of a constant implicit pressure on our beliefs, and that's the state we live in. And I think that's why deconstruction tends to be more prominent in urban areas and college campuses in my experience is because often people are kind of uprooted from a more homogeneous background society where people generally thought about the life the same way they did. And then they get to this transient environment where people are coming from all different places and there's all these different ideas. And it's kind of going, whoa, man, I don't know if I can, what, what, I, what I believe holds water anymore, you know? So there's that cross pressure and all that's fine. That's just kind of context we're in. But then the third factor that I think is like the explosive ingredient to this concoction that you know makes it go, go out, is if you take the power of relational networks, the presence of cross pressure, and then you mix in the pervasiveness of the internet today, and just how, uh, man, just the, sorry, three Ps, I'm a preacher, I can't get away from the alliteration, but, right? But like the internet now today, what it does essentially is like, radically expands our relational network and radically expands the amount of ideas that we're constantly encountering and facing that puts this implicit cross pressure, social pressure upon us. And I think there's an ideology that 
foments and is fostered in that environment that pushes towards a deconstruction of faith. And so the, the main part, I, I, I guess I just kind of want to drive in in that, that streak. What I was trying to briefly hit, but even in all this is to, to draw out, is that often when people are deconstructing, I think there's a narrative of it being sort of neutral territory. So I'll see many friends say like, I'm just finally looking at the facts, looking at things as they really are. I'm looking within to see what I really believe. But what I think that can be naive to is um, the immense pressures of our social context that can actually be, I can be naive to the ideological currents that we're all swimming in, which I would sum up as something like Foucault on crack, having a baby with the cult of authenticity, right? Like just this, uh, probably an hour episode there, you know, but just going like, man, these cultural waters that we're all swimming in that are exerting a pressure socially upon what is acceptable and what is not. And that's where I think like many people who are going, man, I, I this put strain on relationships with friends and family and I go, yes and amen. I don't dismiss that at all, but I don't think that's the primary relational matrix anymore where people are finding like their core uh, identity, life experience and all in, in this regard. And I think for those who are followers of Jesus, like me, who are wanting to go, man, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm fine for union with him and his people. I think it's going to take a vigilance and a certain resilience in this, in, in this age that we're in, in the midst of the immense social pressure where, um, at times, I think what deconstruction can become is a release valve on that pressure that many of us are feeling to um, release the, yeah, the pressure. Anyways, that was long-winded. I'll be quiet and yeah, we can process. Yeah, no worries. And I guess like there's a couple of things. So, um, I, I, you know, as, as I mentioned in my response, I broadly agree with you here in terms of, I think, yeah, social factors play a huge, a huge amount in our decision making. I, I don't, I'm not uh, arguing for the position that people are entirely rational, and I don't, uh, I, I also don't say people aren't entirely rational as a judgment either. I, I just think that's what it is to be human, um, and I think there are many positive aspects that come out of that, and it's more the side effects of the positive aspects that come out of it as well. So, in, in terms of that broad point, I, I, I don't disagree. I think. You know, one, it was, it, it, once again, it, it, you, and you recognized it there in your comments, but it, it didn't come out in the article um, for us looking in, was that obviously <clears throat> a big part of leaving is going, like, I attended church for about four to five months before I told anyone that actually I was pretty much in that place of I no longer believed. Um, and you hear it in the lyrics. You hear how these rep the repeating of these affirmations collectively together, and all that community aspect, is a is a social pressure. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, obviously it's doing many other things as well, and that is partly intentional and, and partly unintentional. It's a, it's part of it. Um, but I think, you know, just respecting that to say that deconstruction is applying this social pressure is, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, to one extent was, is one, it's just a bit one-sided. And I think also just in terms of the article, what comes across in the article, but doesn't come across as you say that now is also just, um, sort of a, a dismissiveness of deconstruction as the cool thing, <laughs> uh, rather than, uh, you know, sometimes that feeling of, oh, if you dismiss it as being cool and just having style, uh, it sort of demeans the substance. Uh, and obviously, on the back of having the bad teaching earlier, sort of, 
you know, uh, was a bit frustration, uh, is, you know, especially for myself and Sam as, as podcasters, as people who are just really interested in this space, get to have amazing conversations and, and enjoy sharing them. It kind of, it, it felt like a, an unnecessary dig. Um, and I had one last point. Uh, that I was just going to touch on uh, because I'm aware we're we're running over time and we promised uh, we would let you go. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, oh, and and the other point, and I think similar to the earlier claim in the article where you talked about people having affairs before the deconstruction started, just this idea, and I know that this is, it's kind of this theological commitment that the world is against Christian culture rather than actually, especially in this global world, especially in this internet world, as you, as you mentioned, um, you know, where we're having a conversation live across the pond, uh, the way that we are and uh, the two different cultural contexts that are within. Um, part of me thinks, I, I would agree that there is some cultural conflict uh, going on right now. And I think obviously things like uh, Trump and the extreme right wing and how tied that has become to uh, a particular version of Christianity that isn't necessarily representative of all of Christianity um, creates a higher and higher conflict. But I think to, um, to uh, the part of me just wants to say there's a theological commitment there that I don't think is empirically evidenced. I think cultures just conflict um, or, uh, on a regular basis. So uh, part of me, once again, was more responding to that that narrative, which I know where that comes from, having been a Christian uh, and, and having believed that, even though in reflection, I don't think I could truly evidence that, uh, that feeling of being, uh, you know, under attack by culture. I think the probably the most prominent area as we discussed earlier was sexual ethics and in particular for the LGBT plus uh, community where there is a, a, a strong disagreement. And I, I think there is a conflict there, but I don't think that's uh, uh, to the same as a theological commitment. If that makes sense, I feel like I'm waffling there. So I'll stop there. <laughs> no, yeah. Thanks Daniel. And Josh, over to you just to close your final thoughts on, on the conversation and, and what Daniel's presented. Yeah, definitely. Well, maybe just my final thought would be, yeah, I really appreciate this conversation get the chance to interact over it together. And, uh, you know, one of my hopes from where I sit was just going like, um, dude, I don't think deconstruction is entirely a negative thing. I've gone through phases of deconstructing some bad beliefs in my own life to reconstruct a healthy, good one. I think it'd be a good one. Uh, but in my mind, what kind of ultimately distinguishes the good versus bad versions is trajectory, you know, what trajectory are they on? And I know, Daniel, as you mentioned, this is an area where probably just our theological commitment, or, you know, our commitments are, are different from the outset, you know, and so this isn't to try and convince much as just to name it. Um, but for me, like, I do believe like union with Jesus is where life and healing and salvation and flourish and all that's found. And so uh, in my mind, like the the question I, I you know, I, I kind of want to raise is the the trajectory of the deconstruction process is I think what I was trying to you know hit in the article of going, if the trajectory is union with Jesus and his people, then I think there are good resources the gospel gives if we've experienced church hurt, if we've had some crappy teaching, if we are, you know, at, at a spot, as I found myself at times where, you know, a desire to live on my own terms autonomously from God, 
or if I'm feeling kind of the social pressure around me, which honestly back in Portland and at times here, like I, I have felt that, you know, like, like these are things I've experienced all these four buckets in my own life, not just, you know, for others out there. And so uh, if deconstruction is maybe this kind of middle stage of questioning and grappling and it's not quite landed, I think there are good resources to get to that trajectory of being with Jesus and his people. Um, and then, or the trajectory away from Jesus' people, you know, I think um, part of the concern is seeing that being the reality for fam many you know, family and friends where, um, uh, where I don't think it necessarily needed to be, you know, um, but that's, I think, as you mentioned earlier, Daniel, you know, like that's coming out of my prior theological commitment to just believing that Jesus is where it's found, you know, that's where, that's where the good stuff is. Um, but I recognize that that's an area that we're going to see things differently. And I really appreciate being able to have a conversation like this, where we just kind of process through that together. And I'm even being able to hear how some of those aspects and elements of the article hit you, or maybe felt whether uh, misrepresentative or even condescending at points. I'm just really grateful for, yeah, the honesty and clarity to, uh, yeah, for you to be able to say those things and us to be able to process through it together. So thank you. Josh, it's been great to have you on the on the show and, and to chat this through. And I hope this is a useful video for people that we can send it to and, and you can definitely point them to as a as a good overview of your article, some pushbacks and some of your thoughts on that as well. So thank you for your time and your insights, mate. It's, it's always appreciated. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Yeah, thanks very much, Josh. Really appreciate it. Definitely appreciate you both. Have a good day. Okay, cool. So Josh is gone. It's just you and me. It's the end of the conversation. And I would love to kind of get your... You know, your your initial thoughts, Daniel, on on the conversation. You've obviously written the article. You had an initial gut reaction. You've had some time to process that. You've now come to this after talking to Josh. Like how how are things sitting with you now? Yeah, I guess you know uh, that conversation roughly went how I expected. And obviously, like there are just completely different theological commitments from us from us both. You know, him being a Christian pastor, me now being an atheist. Uh, there was never going to be massive agreement on some some of these things and you know part of the reason why i i wrote the article is you know i like the impression i had of him from your conversation wasn't in line with that some of these damaging narratives that i saw like sort of filtering through uh the article as i mentioned in our conversation and uh, i did feel like okay actually if i if I actually get something to him, I don't know, maybe I could change his mind. And obviously, I think there are things in that conversation which may have swayed him or may not. Um, and obviously, you know, even in my response, part of part of my response was an emotional reaction as well. I completely recognize that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm generally happy <laughs> with how, how that conversation went. Um, I, I know there are still things which I'll disagree with. I I just want, you know, and I think this has been a really crucial thing, you know, we've talked about in sort of the podcast and our conversations, like, you know, both of us are still working through stuff that have left us hurt and angry about leaving Christianity. And yet we want to try and make sure that whenever we're having these conversations that they're honest, reflective, respectful of the fact that you know I, you know we don't think anyone who's a christian is stupid i you know i used to believe this stuff I, I didn't think i was stupid back then i don't think that they're mean people 
And even when I think I completely disagree with some of their positions, you know, part of me is wanting to try to, you know, not just appeal intellectually, but sort of appeal to the fact that I don't think you're fully aware of the consequences of some of these things. And, you know, part of me was trying to do that um, in this conversation. So obviously we were a bit tight on time, <laughs> but apart from that, um, yeah. It, it sort of went roughly as I expected and roughly uh, uh, as I kind of hoped. And yeah, 1,800 words just wasn't enough to tackle such a, a big issue. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully if the Gospel Coalition considers Josh or anyone else for talking on this issue, my real appeal is it's a big issue give it more words or pick one very, very specific area. And and even then be careful about generalizing so much because while, yeah, I do think some of these things I identified with in my journey, I don't think there's inherently things wrong with the four areas that he's identified as much as I had my critiques of them and various things i don't they aren't comprehensive there's a whole lot else going on there's always there's always aspects which are unique to individuals and i think what people find frustrating is when what is being asserted is the theological commitment first and then listening rather than listening and and feeling like the person, you know, yeah, I, I guess that's it. Like, I know that whenever I'm talking to someone who has deconstructed, they probably are bringing some narratives to it and some ideas of what that process is like from their experience, and that's fine. But I know that when I'm talking to a Christian, they have these theological commitments that create this judgment, that create these damaging narratives that that leaves me, one, reluctant to speak to them in the first place because I know that I had these narratives before and I was interpreting people's stories through them rather than truly listening. And two, in my experience, as I did talk to people, I saw these narratives being superimposed on my story rather than being listened to, having that reflected back uh, in a meaningful way. And I, I guess that's that's kind of my concern here. I, I know that Josh's intent was to talk to those who might deconstruct and to appeal to them, but actually I feel like the readership will probably be those who will interact with those who are deconstructing, who will view those who are deconstructing. And I guess it's more, I guess that's kind of why I wanted to have the conversation because I don't think the article does what Josh wanted it to do. And I, and I guess that's why I'm, I'm glad we were able to have that conversation. And hopefully the viewers will find it helpful. Um, and hopefully hopefully you know people some people will disagree with what i've said surely um and i i welcome it um but hopefully understand what i i try to do in this engagement as well um in reaching out to them yeah 
I mean, I have so many thoughts and so many views, and I'm going to keep them all to myself, like a little secret deck of cards that you can't see. Um, but, mate, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for writing the article and posting it on When Belief Dies. Listener, as I said at the very beginning, the link's in the description, so head on down there now. You can view both Josh's article and Daniel's response, and obviously this video is the sort of overview and exchange between them both. Um, I think it's been a very fruitful dialogue. So, yeah, as always, mate, thank you for your time. Indeed. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, to leave any comments or thoughts, please head on over to YouTube. And to follow us on social media or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. And I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.